we're in this time that is really a tipping point. And the opinion of ecosystem building uh, and, and how that impacts economic development is changing dramatically to a point that we're not really the underdogs anymore. You know, people talk about economic development as ecosystem building. This thing that we have been fighting for our whole careers, like we've had success. We're here. Welcome to Ecosystems for Change, where we co-author the playbook on transforming communities by amplifying the impact of changemakers around us. Whether you are an entrepreneur or otherwise changemaker yourself, a citizen who loves their community with a passion and wants to see it thrive, whether you are a mentor, investor, support organization, advisor, philanthropic funder, economic developer, or policymaker, learn the practical tools and proven tactics of ecosystem builders from all around the world to better support the dreamers, doers, tinkerers, and makers in your community by taking a systems approach to social change. I'm your host, Annika Horn. Welcome back to Ecosystems for Change. Before we kick off the next season, I have a very special episode for you today. At the end of 2022, I found out that there are several federal funding opportunities for entrepreneurial ecosystem builders here in the U.S. That's right, friends. The U.S. government is starting to see the effectiveness of an ecosystem approach and has started recruiting some of their programs accordingly which you gotta admit sounds like a great opportunity for grassroots ecosystem builders to finally get their work funded. And it is a great opportunity. The only downside, none of these programs actually call it entrepreneurial ecosystem building. So I knew I had to find someone who can help us translate these opportunities and find her I did. In this episode, I'm excited to introduce you to Melissa Roberts Chapman at the Federation of American Scientists, who took the time to break down these funding opportunities for ecosystem builders here in the U.S. So everybody, without further ado, meet Melissa Roberts Chapman. Melissa Roberts Chapman, I apologize for being late to the party of the celebration of you. When I first brought up this topic with a couple of my fellow ecosystem builders and I said I was talking to you, they were like, yeah, obviously, Melissa's awesome. And I was unaware of that until just now. So I'm really glad I'm getting caught up. And in case there's anyone listening who has not yet heard of Melissa Roberts Chapman, we are now all on the same page. And I really can't wait to talk to you because to me, funding ecosystem building work is a really loaded and tricky and really, really difficult topic. But when we were getting for this interview, you said, yeah, it's one of my favorite things to talk about ever. So I'm really glad you're here. Thank you for making the time to talk to us and get us set up. First up, before we dive in, and we will dive in deep, tell us a little bit more about who you work for, why do you do what you do, and you know, what is that connection to ecosystem building and to funding? And how are you, how are we meeting you in this space? Absolutely. Well, um, you know, I have spent a long career as an ecosystem builder. I started um, really as an entrepreneur in Kansas City, where I live and am based. Um, and I showed up out of sheer desperation uh, to one of the startup events in our ecosystem, just absolutely begging for help. And that was a really, uh, that was my introduction to our local startup ecosystem, which was really blossoming at the time. Uh, and so I got involved as 
first, you know, an organizer for the One Million Cups program, later as, uh, you know, uh, entrepreneur supporter professionally. And then uh, after some time, I really got involved as uh, kind of a leader in the entrepreneurial ecosystem and worked at the Kauffman Foundation, led a regional strategy there, and ended up working deeply today on policy at the Federation of American Scientists. So FAS, as we call it, is a DC-based organization that helps to define the greatest challenges of our time and to mobilize the technology, ideas, and talent that we need to be successful as a society um, and try and deploy those resources in government to help solve those problems. And so our work is pretty broad. I lead our work on entrepreneurship and innovation ecosystem building within FAS. Um, And so I work on issues like government funding for entrepreneurship and ecosystem building every day, uh, which is an incredibly fun job. And that is the perfect segue into what I want to ask you all the questions about today. First off, before we dive into some of the, the programs and challenges that are available for ecosystem builders, can you give us a lay of the land when it comes to funding for ecosystem building, especially on a federal level? What does that look like? Is that new? Has it been around for a decade? Can you paint that picture for us, please? Yeah, I think this is an incredibly important time uh, in ecosystem building in terms of the kinds of resources that are available. And when I think back to when I got my start as an ecosystem builder, so often I think we felt like the underdog. You know, we were really like begging and scrounging for resources. We were trying to kind of take advantage of any opportunity that we could to help fund our work. And I think that ethos is really present even today in ecosystem building. And it's easy to understand why. Number one, that's how we all have been trained. We've been trained to to be very aggressive, to be hungry, to seek resources wherever we can find them. Uh, and then in addition, uh, you know, those resources have been hard to find. And so I think it's easy to kind of to stay in that posture and to keep feeling like the underdog, um, to keep feeling like we're not at the table where decisions are being made. But I think we're in this time that is really a tipping point. And the opinion of ecosystem building uh, and, and how that impacts economic development is changing dramatically to a point that we're not really the underdogs anymore. You know, people talk about economic development as ecosystem building. This thing that we have been fighting for our whole careers, like we've had success, we're here. And I think that stepping back, reflecting on the fact that we're in a place where, you know, we are at the tables, people are speaking our language, like that is a really impressive and exciting thing. And that is part of the reason that I think so many resources right now from the federal government are being deployed in support of ecosystem building and building entrepreneurial ecosystems. And so that process, we have to step back and norm that this is now how the government thinks about economic development. We've done that. And so when I think about the kind of resources that are available today, the kind of resources that have been available for a long time, and the kind of resources that are coming, this is a 
this is a moment of incredible opportunity. Um, so I think the first thing is that there's this set of resources that has a long legacy in supporting entrepreneurs in the federal government. And these are not always the same resources that fund our work on a daily basis. And so I think as ecosystem builders, we have um, you know, a tendency to forget them and forget the impact they have in our communities, maybe glaze over because we're very you know, development minded. This is how we were trained to work. But it's important to recognize those resources because in glazing over them, in forgetting to acknowledge them, you know, we leave partnership opportunities, funding opportunities on the table. And so those are resources like, you know, the SBDC network. There, you know, there are SBDC offices in every congressional district in the country. Uh, and that's an incredible resource if we think about it that way, if we if we change our thinking from a development mindset and start thinking about, you know, what are the resources that are truly available that we can tap into? There are resources that have been funded for a very long time, like the University Extension Network. I mean, that's an incredible potential entrepreneur support resource. Uh, the Regional Innovation Strategies Program that's been funding ecosystem building and innovation ecosystem building uh, for almost 10 years now at the EDA. Um, these are these are programs that we uh, acknowledge, but, um, you know, sometimes we glaze over. I think it's important to, to norm that those exist. The second thing is that there are these new programs that are injecting, I mean, literally billions of dollars into ecosystem building around the country right now. Programs like the Build Back Better, the Good Jobs Challenge out of the EDA, the NSF Regional Engines Program. We've talked more about those too. And then there's this whole set of programs that are coming that we could be advocating for um, that would provide even more opportunities for funding in the future. So I think there's really a huge amount of opportunity. The resources being dedicated right now by the federal government are in the billions. And so it's really about uh, you know, prioritizing, staying up to date on these award processes, learning a little bit more about the federal government, learning to speak that language as ecosystem builders, you know, and and trying to meet the needs that the federal government has as it's putting these billions of dollars into programs. So can I walk into the EDA on Monday morning and say, hey, I'm an ecosystem builder. I hear y'all just got a lot of money where do I sign up? Um, here's my voided check, like put all the money in my account and let me do the work. I hear you have billions of dollars to play with. Or how does that work? Yeah. So that's a great question. And there is a sense in which you can. There's a sense in which you also cannot. So <laughs> the way in which you can't is that a lot of the programs that I'm talking about in this conversation, things like the regional innovation strategies, or it's now called the Build to Scale program, things like the Build Back Better Regional Challenge, the Good Jobs Challenge, these are time-bound, challenge-based opportunities. And a challenge-based opportunity means that it kind of has an open call for proposal. It asks communities around the country to put in proposals uh, you know, as a cross-community partnership. Uh, and then it awards those. And sometimes they happen every year. Sometimes they happen just once. And so I think the best thing that I would tell ecosystem builders who have an interest in being involved in these things in the future is that you should not um, you should not be waiting 
for anyone to call you, you know, monitor these things. There, there, there are email lists that you can sign up for. You can visit the EDA office, um, the EDA office that manages these programs. You can sign up for a newsletter that will give you the announcement in your email inbox. And it takes just a few minutes to get prepared. You can also prioritize staying involved with groups that convene ecosystem builders that a lot of times share this information. Um, groups like the Startup Champions Network, groups like SSTI or NBIA. These are networks that you can access very easily today that will make sure that you're connected to this kind of information. So I would say, you know, get involved with national ecosystem building networks. You know, make sure you do the basics to ensure that you're getting information. Follow the EDA on Twitter. Um, you know, th these kind of basic steps. Um, and then the second is that... It, in a sense, yes, you can walk into the EDA office on Monday. Um, you might be walking into, though, one of six different regional offices. And so one of the things that is really unique about the EDA is that they have kind of a decentralized structure. And they have these six regional offices that are responsible uh, for building projects in each of the six EDA regions across the country. And all this information, you can look it up on the EDA website and see, you know, who is the, you know, the program leader at your regional office. But there are regional EDA officers that you can meet with that understand, you know, your particular local context and who can share some of the local opportunities that are available. So again, this is really just, I think this is part of a, like a mental adjustment for the field of ecosystem building. Again, like when I started out, we would never think about walking into the office of a federal agency and saying, like, what have you got for me? Um, that's that's just not a posture that we ever would have taken. You know, we would have scrapped for, um, you know, some money from the city or something like that. But this is now being recognized as a huge economic power. And so I think it's appropriate to start having these conversations, to start running in in federal circles. Um, and to stay up to date on these opportunities. If you're still feeling lost after all that, if you're still feeling like, wow, you're using a lot of acronyms and just for the sake of definitions, in case uh, you hear me say EDA and you think to yourself, I don't even know what that means. EDA is a part of the U.S. Department of Commerce uh, called the Economic Development Administration. But, you know, if you just want to start somewhere, I would say, Talk to some of the institutions in your city that you work with often that would strike you as the folks that would be leading the charge on major federal grant op opportunities. In some places, that might be a community of commerce. In some places, that might be a regional planning authority. You know who it is in your community as an ecosystem builder. Um, but start the conversation with those institutions. And, and that's what's going to get you at the table in your community for these opportunities in the future. So, Melissa, I've been on a couple of webinars about National Science Foundation engines. And I heard a lot of lingo and I was like, no one here talks about ecosystem building. I was told this was about ecosystem building. What is going on? Am I in the wrong webinar? What is going on with the language? What are some of those terms and which ones can we translate? And what is the context for how this is being phrased? Because I don't think any of these grant opportunities 
advertise themselves specifically towards grassroots ecosystem and community builders. Can you tell us a little bit more about that language switching? Yeah, I think it's about, you know, in, in any situation where you don't speak the language, you, I think the way that we survive as ecosystem builders is that, you know, we, we learn the keywords and we kind of come up with the analog in our own world, right? Yeah. Um, because part of the challenge of being an ecosystem builder is that you have to work with a lot of different stakeholder groups. Like ecosystem builders are professionals in connective tissue. Um, and so that means that, you know, we're generalists. <laughs> and so we may not be a mile deep in any one of the stakeholder groups, but at least we know the basics. Um, and so I think when you when you think about government stakeholders in particular, you really have to think, as with any stakeholder group, about what are their motivations. So like when you go and you talk to a group of investors, you know that their motivation is to make money. Right. And so we talk in those terms. We talk about ROI. We talk about exit potential. We talk about building pipelines. We know that's the, the language that investors speak. And for us, that means things like, you know, returning wealth to our community, building, uh, you know, building a rich entrepreneurial community where a lot of people can see themselves represented. You just use a different language. So when it comes to government, they, just like investors, have different goals in mind. And their goals are really ensuring that our economy nationally is competitive with other countries, that we lead new areas of technology, and that entrepreneurship drives our national economy. And so that's like kind of a, a higher order of thinking about the impact. So it, it fundamentally, we're still thinking about the same things at the end of the day. You know, creating a competitive economy means creating a strong local economy. It's the same thing. You know, making sure that we lead in technology is the same thing as making sure that our university locally is a is a leader. Creating entrepreneurship as a flywheel that drives, you know, our national economic growth. That's the same thing that we talk about when we say new businesses create all net new jobs in the economy. We're all talking about the same thing. We're just using slightly different framing. And so when you talk to the federal government, knowing that their goal at the end of the day is building our macroeconomic competitiveness, so our competitiveness as a national economy with other national economies, um, you know, you have to think in those terms. You have to think, what is what are the industries that are going to best position us? And I think that's where things like like cluster development come into play, um, which is something that we we talk a little about as ecosystem builders. So building a biotech cluster or building an advanced manufacturing cluster. Um, and so the last thing I want to say there is I think one of the mistakes that we make when we write off that mode of development is that we assume that because we're talking about high tech um, you know, or advanced technology at the center of, you know, the content of what we're building, right? So if we talk about, for instance, building a biotech ecosystem, I think there are a lot of people who look at that and they say, there's no place for me in a biotech ecosystem. I want to start a bakery. Or there's no place for me in a biotech ecosystem. I don't have a PhD in biology. And like, I can understand why people think that way. And as ecosystem builders, we have an opportunity to tie their visions to this cluster and to say, okay, yes, building an innovation ecosystem 
is about building a lab to market pipeline that is driven by people who have earned, you know, PhDs in chemistry or biology. Yes, that's absolutely a part of it. But it's also about training the people that are going to work at those companies. It's also about building a biomanufacturing supply chain that can support those development. Those are fast-growing small businesses that are usually manufacturing businesses, you know, process manufacturing. Uh, It's about building technical freelance writers and helping them start their businesses. And it's about building the lifestyle businesses that make our community a great place to live and help us attract talent. So when we talk about innovation ecosystems, I think, you know, your reaction if you work, you know, more often with small businesses or more often with sole proprietors or things like that or manufacturing businesses shouldn't be, hey, you know, that's not for me. That's not for my community. It should be, how does what I do, how does what my community specializes in fit into this vision that helps move us in a direction that creates greater economic competitiveness? So there's a place for all of us in that message. Hey there. While we're chatting about all things ecosystem building, I wanted to invite you over to socialventurers.com, where you can find even more content and insights into what we're talking about. And if you want to be the first one to hear about new episodes, get some behind the scenes content, and you could use a heartfelt reminder that what you do matters, sign up for Impact Curator. Impact Curator is my curated love letter to our community that hits your inbox every two weeks. And now, back to the show. Can we spend a few minutes diving into the different grant opportunities that are currently going on, that are already underway, that are coming up? Can you talk us through what you know about them so that we can create a little bit more awareness about these different opportunities? And we can start with whichever one you like. Well, let's start with the old school. <laughs> yeah. Let's start with the old school. Because I think these are like, these are underestimated and under-discussed programs that are fundamentally central to our entrepreneurial ecosystems. So these programs are like the SBDC network. And I think there are entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial ecosystem builders who have had different experiences with their local SBDCs. That doesn't change the fact that they exist, that they're funded, and that like they are working in your community. And so finding the right way to engage your local SBDC, you know, that can unlock a huge kind of basic consultative function in your community that plays a really important role. You know, the second piece there of like the old school of programs are that there are these programs that are actually seeking your input right now about the new approaches that they hope to take. So some examples are like the SBA lending programs, 7A loans, um, and I'm going to define these like acronyms in just a second. So hang with me. But the SBA 7A lending program and the SBA SBIC program. So these are two programs that are run out of the Small Business Administration, which is like the powerhouse kind of they're like the applied scientists of the U.S. government. They're the ones who really work deeply in communities providing direct services. And so there are these financing opportunities for small businesses that have been around for many, many years. Um, and you you can recognize them in your community. You know banks that do SBA lending. When they talk about doing SBA lending, they're talking about 
SBA 7A loans. And so SBA is a small business administration. 7A loans are the loans that happen through local community banks for which the, the SBA provides guarantees. They also run something called the SBIC program. And that makes loans as an intermediary to other funds to make more loans. And so SBA lends money to kind of a middleman who ultimately makes loans in a community. And those might be CDFIs. Those might be community development corporations. Uh, and like I said, as an ecosystem builder, you likely know those organizations in your community. And so will your ecosystem building organization compete for that funding? Maybe not. You know, maybe you don't have a lending capacity, but it still exists. It's an it's a public resource and you should make your opinion heard on it. So right now, the SBA is asking for your opinion because it wants to make some changes to these programs and it wants to know how you think they're going to impact um, the entrepreneurial ecosystem around you. So, you know, this is a process that I think a lot of people overlook, but it's called, you know, the federal comment process. And every federal agency, when they decide to make a new rule or implement a new policy, they have to seek comments from the public. They have to kind of say, here's what we think we're going to do. What do you think? And so, you know, your ability to answer that comment happens through a website called the Federal Register. But you essentially just write a letter and you say, hey, I read the changes that you are going to make, which you can find announced in the Federal Register right now. Uh, and I think that this one will help. I think you should do this thing a little differently. And by the way, have you thought about doing this other thing that I don't see reflected in your comments? And that's exactly what the SBA wants to hear from you. So I would say, you know, if you have any inclination at all towards, um, you know, changes to these major lending programs and having an opinion there, like look at the Federal Register, write a letter, submit it as a comment. The SBA is asking for your help. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of some of the old school stuff. And of course, the Build to Scale program, I don't want to forget that. That's been a critical resource that supports, you know, innovation led entrepreneurship. Um, that happens every single year. So that's kind of the old school stuff. Should we talk now about the, the present stuff? You're on fire. Let's keep rolling. Yes. Cool. Okay. So right now, there are these three programs that are, I mean, in terms of scale, absolutely massive, massive amounts of funding available to support ecosystem building in our communities. And they are, number one, the Build Back Better Regional Challenge. And this is run out of the Economic Development Administration, the EDA. This, this is a call for applications, and the winners were just announced recently. So while there may not be an opportunity to apply for a Build Back Better award, which ranged, by the way, in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, so if, if, if you think that you might want to get involved, but you're disappointed that you missed that application window, Go look online. There is information about each one of the winners. There may very well be a winner in your community or a community close to you. And you can see um, summaries of what they're working on, right? So that's one way that you can get involved. You can check and see if anyone in your community won a Build Back Better Regional Challenge application. Um, if you did, if they didn't, right, that's a possibility. There were, there were, you know, just over 20 winners around the country. Um, 
it's possible that your community submitted an application but didn't win. And information about all of the finalists in that program is also available online. Um, and so you can go and see what your community submitted. You can see the organizations that were leading the charge. That's like a front door to knock on to get involved in the future. Absolutely. So take advantage of that. You know, the same is true of the Good Jobs Challenge. Um, and so look online, see who won. Look and see who the finalists were. See if there was someone close to you. Um, it's kind of the same, uh, same old, same old there as a way to get involved. And then the last one is called the NSF Regional Innovation Engines Challenge. And, and Annika, this is the one you talked about having participated in a webinar for. And so just to give a little bit of context, the NSF, the National Science Foundation, is one of the largest funders of science and research in our country. They exist to advance our understanding of critical science areas. That's like what they do. So they're funding research at the university near you. So the NSF has a real interest in building a specific kind of ecosystem, and that is innovation ecosystems. And when I say that, I'm talking about lab to market entrepreneurs. So entrepreneurship that comes out of um, you know, university research that's then commercialized. And, you know, usually these are deep tech companies. Uh, so something like, you know, a new, I don't know, mRNA vaccine. <laughs> that seemed, that's like, an, that's a great example of lab to market entrepreneurship that uh, is present in our lives. I hope it's present in your life. And I think that, that, that kind of ecosystem building is really complex. And again, this is the place where a lot of people look at it and they say, hey, that's not for me. But like I said just a moment ago, there are a lot of ways in which the things that we care about as ecosystem builders, about small businesses that can be part of supply chains, about talent attraction through building a great and rich community through the arts or through having great lifestyle businesses that make your community a good place to live, Um can be a part of an effort to attract high-tech talent and build an innovation ecosystem. Certainly, uh, you know, systems like education and increasing career pathways and pipelines into STEM, you know, advanced disciplines uh, and the kinds, of, uh, the kinds of educational pathways that lead people to a PhD in biology or chemistry, making that you know, realistic and attainable for everyone in our communities. These are other things I, you know, I've seen a lot of ecosystem builders that that um, are deeply involved in these things and care about them. And so, there's a lot of places where we have a role in innovation ecosystem conversations, even if we don't work at a university, even if we don't have a PhD in biology. Uh, and not only do we have an opportunity to get involved, but our voices are needed. Because we are professionals at tying together all of the stakeholders that actually make these complex community building efforts work. So with all that being said, last, last thing on NSF engines, just like with the Build Back Better Regional Challenge, there is so much information available online about everyone who has submitted an application. So if you haven't already, you have got to go online, go to the NSF website go to the NSF Engines website and look at the navigator that they've put together that lets you read summaries of every application that's been submitted. This level of like transparency and information 
is really cutting edge. And so there is no reason that you shouldn't be connected to an NSF engine in your community or close to it because you can see it right now. All you have to do is look and you can write them an email today. And so that's that would be kind of my my push there. Super. Um, I am going to work with Melissa to find all the relevant links and put those in the show notes so that everyone who's listening, you can go to the show notes and you can go down all of these various rabbit holes right now uh, and find out a little bit more. Melissa, I got to play devil's advocate here a little bit. Sounds like there's a lot of federal funding right now. It sounds, like you said, massive and a lot of opportunity. What would you tell an ecosystem builder who works in a super rural area? What would you tell an ecosystem builder who works in the inner city? What would you tell an ecosystem builder who works with a part of the community where innovation is not the top priority, where livelihood is the top priority? Or, you know, just my concern with some of those programs is innovation is incredibly sexy. I know that is a selling point for national competitiveness. And entrepreneurship is such a wide spectrum of not just doing business, but really people creating opportunities for themselves. So for those who don't fall into the high-tech, bioscience, sexy innovation bucket, is there anything for them? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, here's, here's one of the things that I think is like a tragedy of ecosystem building and the way that we're trained to think about entrepreneurship. So when we think about entrepreneurship, we're trained to think about entrepreneurship falling into one of two buckets. That is largely kind of determined by the kind of a financing that would be appropriate for your, your company, right? So we think about venture-backable companies, and we think about small businesses. Uh, and I think we've made a lot of progress over the last, I would say, like 10 to 15 years in, in putting... Um, better focus on both sides of that equation. For so long, it felt like we were only focused on venture-backable companies. I think we've seen this, this renaissance of new approaches to small business support that augment that. Um, but we all know the real world is not that simple. It just isn't. And there's so much more complexity to the different kinds of venture-backable companies that exist, to the different kinds of small businesses that exist. And I think you know, because we have that mental model that puts us in one of two camps as entrepreneurs, as ecosystem builders, all of the above, right? We're tempted to think, okay, like we want to categorize some of these programs as for innovation ecosystem building or for small businesses. And I just think we've got to, we've got to kind of let that go. We've got to kind of leave that view of the world behind um, to recognize the complexity in different businesses that exist around us to know that not everything is going to work. Um, so, you know, I'm from Kansas City, as I mentioned at the beginning of the call, and we have, you know, uh, a local innovation ecos or local ecosystem just generally uh, that I think is really segmented. And uh, we have like over indexed, in my view, on some kinds of entrepreneurship. So like we've, we've created a lot of resources to support you know, tech platform entrepreneurs. We have, on the other hand, almost no resources for lab to market entrepreneurs. We have created a lot of resources to support kind of small lifestyle businesses. We have no resources to support like high growth SMEs. Um, and so it, 
there's this this challenge of you know it makes it easier to check boxes when you have categories but that doesn't always lend to solving the real problems around us so when it comes to people feeling like they don't see a role for themselves in these opportunities that are innovation focused i think if you can let that mental model go then you can start to see the real complexity of building a new industry because that's really the point of these innovation-focused things, that's what ties into macroeconomic competitiveness. And so to build an industry in a place where nothing exists today takes a lot of different kinds of people. Yes, it takes lab to market entrepreneurs. Yes, it takes universities. It also takes small businesses. It also takes consultants. It also takes lifestyle businesses that make that a great place to work and live. And without those things, without any one of those things, the system will never be fully functional. So it's not just like there's an opportunity to include those things and how we think about it. We have to include those things in order to be successful. So think about it in terms of, uh, you know, kind of a market that's in vogue right now. So semiconductors, a lot of people have heard about this big bill that passed, the Chips and Science Act, that is going to invest $50 billion in the semiconductor industry, right? The semiconductor industry was chosen because there's no American-made semiconductor manufacturing today, like zero, nowhere, zero. And so when you think about the challenge of building an entire industry where there is literally nothing anywhere, and you, if you want to build that in a new place that is not Silicon Valley and is not Cambridge, Massachusetts, um, and, and I think folks do, what are the kinds of things that you need to build an entirely new industry? Well, yes, you need, you know, the ability to, to create new kinds of chips and innovate. You also need to manufacture the chips. You, you need manufacturing lines. You need chip fabs. You need, um, you know, you need to attract people from all over the world that are experts, you know, in chip manufacturing and, you know, create the, the kind of community that they want to live in. And so all of those things, you know, those imply different kinds of entrepreneurs in the system, you know, whether it's high growth, whether it's small businesses, whether it's manufacturing businesses, whether it's side hustles, like all of those things have a role. This is something that I think folks leave out because for so long, when we were underdogs, right? Like when we were um, trying to advance an opinion that no one agreed with yet, we were so dependent on trying to prove that entrepreneurship was important that we were, you know, we were trying to make the case that entrepreneurship creates the most jobs of anything in the world. And so we we indexed in on the most productive kind of entrepreneurship economically for job creation. But in doing that, we left a lot of people behind and we left a lot of kinds of businesses behind in that conversation. And so we've got to go back and we've got to change how we frame and how we talk about entrepreneurship or we're always going to struggle with inclusion. We're always going to struggle with people seeing themselves in these systems. And, you know, that's not that's not the way that we need to move as a country. We need to move in places that where people not only where we actually create broader distribution of wealth, broader distribution of resources, more opportunities for everyone in our communities, but where people, you know, can see that easily 
um, where we communicate in a way that helps people understand that they too have a future in these advanced industries. Um, and so I think we have a, we have a long way to go to change how we talk about these things and how our mental models impact the kind of programs that we build. But the one thing that won't get us there um, is, is shutting down uh, and kind of ending the conversation because we don't see ourselves like as ecosystem builders, I think we have a responsibility to seek out the opportunity for our community and to, to figure out how to communicate that in a way that helps our community understand and again, like this is what this is what we do. <laughs> like this is what we are better at than anyone in the world. So I have a lot of hope if we can kind of abandon some of these outdated mental models. I have a lot of hope that we can advance innovation ecosystems in a way that is holistic, in a way that benefits a lot of people. Melissa, you know, when you were talking about we are so used to being the underdogs. You you were directly speaking at me because when I started doing this work seven, eight years ago in Richmond, Virginia, it was really that. It was scraping the bottom of the barrel for a $200 donation here and maybe some in-kind pens and notebooks there that were branded with something completely different, just trying to get the work done. But you're right that luckily, a few years later, it is not as under dog anymore as it used to be. So also, we need to continue on with how we see ourselves and how we define the field and moving that forward and being more, well, maybe even, dare I say, a little bit more optimistic about the role that we play in our communities and what impact that can have on a national scale. Yeah. I, I think optimism is appropriate. I think stepping into the leadership role that we have like clawed out for ourselves is appropriate. I think thinking less like an insurgent and more like a community leader is appropriate. Um, and all those things just recognize the progress that we've made in this community. Um, and, and frankly, I think that progress has come from things that, you know, we're always getting better at. We're always investing more in. And that's why I love being an ecosystem builder and why I identify as one. Like things like we're never self-satisfied about like, oh, we've, you know, we've uh, got the right people around the table. We're always like seeking to get new voices into the room, to hear more opinions. Um, I think that's something that's that's really fundamental to ecosystem building. And there's a, like a hunger to always do better in terms of inclusion. And I think that that has the potential as we step into those leadership positions to really revolutionize our communities in so many ways, not just in economic development, which is what we're talking about today, um, but in so many different parts of our community. So I, I have a lot of optimism. Melissa, we've had, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you. I really enjoyed your high-level lookout, federal government, what are they trying to do? Help me break it down for the grassroots ecosystem builder organizer in Sacramento, California, or Tulsa, Oklahoma, or Greenville, North Carolina. Now that they've listened to this episode, they've learned a lot more about different opportunities. What would be the first three steps that they might take to move this boulder up the hill? Yeah. So I, I, I'm going to answer that question and I'm going to add on 
and say something that I think everyone should do, no matter what kind of ecosystem builder they are. <laughs> so I think if you're a grassroots ecosystem builder, if this is like the first time you've thought about pursuing federal funding or how your community is going after it, I think the easy thing that you can do, the number one thing I would do is go on to these two websites I talked about today and that we're going to put in the show notes. Look at the Build Back Better Regional Challenge finalists and look at the NSF engines applicants in your community. And then go reach out and have a conversation with the organizations that are leading it. Just get yourself into that room. And that alone it might feel uncomfortable. It might feel like you're talking to an organization that you no don't normally work with. Um, it might feel like stepping outside your comfort zone. But I guarantee you that if you do that, they are going to realize how much they need your expertise at the table to make their own applications and their own work more competitive and more likely to be successful. So take a leap. Reach out to this, you know, these organizations in your community that I guarantee you are, you know, are thinking about these, these things already and just have a conversation about how you can get involved and how you can help the cause. And then the second thing is the one thing I think everybody should do, everybody should do, whether you would call yourself a grassroots ecosystem builder or you work for a university or what have you, um, is, so I talked about those three programs today that are, are huge, uh, points of progress, right? Um, there's one more on the horizon, but it's not a done deal yet. And so uh, when the Chips and Science Act passed this year, included in that was a program called, it was called the Tech Hubs program. Um, and so what happens when a bill passes is that it authorizes or it like creates a program, but that program doesn't really exist until it is funded later in the congressional process. And so what happens, we would call it in our in our government world, it was authorized but not appropriated. So it was created but not funded. Those happen through two different mechanisms. So Tech Hubs is a program that was created, not funded. And I think Tech Hubs is maybe a little bit of a misleading title because, again, you know, it, it makes you think about that one side of the equation of innovation-led ecosystem. And I think it's, there's a broader approach here that is relevant and important. But that program will never make it to to your community if it's not funded in this lame duck congressional session. So in this this extra congressional session right now at the end of the year over the next six weeks. And so, you know, this is a place where you really can call your congressman, call your congressman's office, tell them how important, you know, tech hubs and programs like it are to your community. Tell them how hard you work to find resources to build your local ecosystem and the impact that you have when you do it um, and how much having more federal resources dedicated to that work would mean to you and would mean to your community. Um, and again, like that's something I think that sounds, sounds really scary to a lot of people. It's as easy as Googling your senator's office, literally. Just like Google your, you know, South Carolina senators. Their phone number will come right up. Just call that phone number. <laughs> and say, hi, I'd like to talk to someone about the Tech Hubs program. Again, these we I think we make these we make these things that are not in our wheelhouse feel very difficult to do. You know, 
I think there are a lot of ecosystem builders out there who think, oh man, policy making. I'm not a policy person. I don't understand policy. Well, you understand raising money for your organization, I guarantee you. Uh, and this is one way to raise money for your organization potentially. And so that's really all you have to understand to make your voice heard. Melissa, thank you so much. This was exactly what I was hoping to get out of a conversation with you. Some very tangible, tangible advice on how to go about this and just a little bit more insight into what's even out there and how we can tap into some of those opportunities, not just for us individually, but really for our communities and in our regions. Uh, thank you so much. Oh, of course. Um, I will let you go, but I do want to ask you two of my favorite questions that I ask every interview guest before we wrap up. Um, who is one ecosystem builder that you think everybody else should know about? Oh, man. I can't answer that question. I can't answer that question. Okay. I, can I, like, make a list of ecosystem builders? Tell I me think, three that come to mind right away. Oh, my God. This is so hard. Okay. So... I think there are three really great organizations uh, and these are all from the heartland, like my backyard, right? Mm -hmm. Three really great ecosystem builders. I've worked directly with two of them in the past. Um, and one of them was a grantee of ours when I was at Kaufman. Um, so there are so many great ecosystem builders in the world. And this is like, this is the hardest choice, but, um, one of those folks that I really admire um, is Natalie Self, uh, who is part of the Cortex Innovation District in St. Louis. And she really does some incredible work at engaging the community in an innovation district that I think, again, a lot of people kind of come to the conversation feeling like it's not meant for them, that they don't have a place in innovation. And she is a genius um, at kind of getting people to kind of consider how their future might be intertwined with innovation and, and um, you know, making it accessible to folks and, and making people think differently and more inclusively about innovation. Another uh, person, Ashley Spivey in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, she runs an organization called Ivy Black Girl. Um, she's led some incredible legislative pushes like the Black Birth Justice Bill in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, and she's like a tireless, fearless advocate for Black women and girls. Um, and then there's another organization in Waterloo, Iowa called 24-7 Black that I think is doing some really incredible work um, in, you know, a smaller metropolitan area in Iowa. Um, and then just because I can't leave out Kansas City, I really, really love the work that, you know, this group of ecosystem builders is doing in Kansas City, and it includes Nia Richardson and uh, Simone from the Prospect Business Association, you know, and Dan from the Porterhouse KC and um, so many other people, and they know who they are. But, I, you know, we've got this kind of coalition going in KC um, that's kind of centering Black business and how we think about entrepreneurial development. And I think it is like their work is just so important and transformative for our community. So fantastic. You seem really well connected. And I personally always love hearing about other ecosystem builders who I haven't met yet. Um, last question. What is one resource that has influenced you so much in your work that you would recommend to other ecosystem builders? Wow. 
you know, I, I like a lot of ecosystem builders kind of came to this work organically, not academically. And uh, one of the great resources that I read that just like crystallized all the things that I had learned from the School of Hard Knocks into a, a sound academic framework <laughs> is uh, the work that Fiona Murray and Phil Budden have done at MIT around stakeholder models and innovation ecosystems. And I think that's something that it, you know, it just gave such clarity to how I understand innovation ecosystems. And, um, you know, I, I think about it every day in my work. So. Melissa, I, I don't really have the words to say thank you. You did a great public <laughs> service today by breaking open this, I will admit, kind of off-putting topic for a lot of ecosystem builders in the field. So I hope that a lot of people get to listen to this, that a lot of people get inspired to um, follow your steps for finding some funding and tapping into some of those federal resources that are available. So thank you for your service for the field of ecosystem building and all the work that you are doing um, just on the day-to-day. -day. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you so much. And to all you ecosystem builders out there, thank you for your work. And when it comes to federal funding, like just try it. You'll like it, I promise. To learn more about these opportunities, I invite you to dive extra deep into today's show notes. Melissa was so kind to compile an extensive overview of these opportunities and created a long list of resources to help us dive deeper into them. Next time you're on LinkedIn, be sure to find Melissa and say thank you. I'll be back with another bonus episode in two weeks. I caught up with guests from year one of the show to hear what big and small adventures they've been on since we last talked, what they learned as a result, what they're looking forward to in 2023, and where we can meet them this year. Until then, thanks not only for who you are, but for what you do to make a difference in the world. I appreciate you. I'll talk to you soon, Annika. I pay my respect to the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live, the Monacan, Shawandasetula, and Monahawk people. I recognize their continuing connection to land, water, and community. I pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. This episode was produced by Yellow House Media.